Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome you, all those who are here today. Welcome those who are joining us online. We are in, the, in a brand new series that we've entitled Fight, Fight, where we've been learning strategies rather than fighting with our families, the importance of fighting for them. Many of us have the fighting with the families down packed. We don't need instructions on how to fight with the families. We fight with the families for any reason, no reason at all. It's the fighting for them that we need instructions on. And fighting with them is not helping them, it's hurting, it's not binding the wounds, it's kind of blowing things up, it's, it's not building up our partners, it's tearing them down. And you need to know today that God's heart or his will for the family of believers is not to be torn down. Can I get an amen on that? And so we've been in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, where we've been drawing a parallel between what took place in 720 B.C. and what's going on in the world today. Several years before Nehemiah's birth, the children of Israel were conquered and forced into exile. Many were killed, but some were taken into captivity. They took the best and the brightest into servitude into Babylon. And so you fast forward a few years, and here is Jewish Nehemiah, and now he's, in, he's the cupbearer to the king. He's been raised in captivity and servitude and has never seen the holy city. And so he gets word or he inquires as to what's going on with the remnant. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, this is what happened. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and, and, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and, and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of, Jer- of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so what's going on upon inquiry, he, he, he learns that the temple was decimated, the walls had been torn down, the remnant left was dejected and depressed, and they were living in defeat, and it caused him to become overwhelmed with tears. This, can I just say there's nothing wrong with weeping? Come on, somebody. My Bible says Jesus wept, amen? You're no less of a man if you allow the tears to come from your eyes. But in that moment, he also received the holy burden from the Lord as he wept and prayed. His burden turned into a passion, and his passion turned into action and a renewed vision for what needs to be done. He, he, he received permission from the king to, to, to go and rebuild the walls, and, and he organized and rallied the remnant families to do just that. But about halfway through, opposition showed up. People came and started mocking him and mocking the workers by the name of, 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 of um, Sanballat and, and those who were doing those things. And the people became afraid for their lives. And Nehemiah, being a great leader, he wouldn't be dissuaded. He rallies his troops and again reminds them why they're doing it. And in Nehemiah 4.14, this is what he says. He says, I looked things over and I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. How many know that we're in a fight today? We're in a fight today. And why is it important to rebuild those walls? Because it's about our families. It's about our marriages and our children and our children's children. Those are the things worth fighting for. And if you're going to be victorious, you've you, you got to have to know who your enemies are. Again, their enemies was Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. Ours is the Satan and, and, and the world system and our old sinful nature that's constantly trying to pull us back into old habits. But just like Nehemiah organized them and the family units and instructed them to take a shovel in one hand and to take up a weapon in the other hand and get each other's backs, we too need to know what our weapons and our tools to rebuild are. I mentioned some of them last week. It's salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation and, and, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to spend that time in prayer, and we'll talk about that today. And we need each other. How many know that none of us are an island unto ourselves? There's no such thing as lone rangers in the body of Christ. If you're out there by yourself, you're out there by yourself, which brings us to today's message and what we'll be discussing over the next few weeks, and that is the role of the family members. Everybody has a role. The husband has a role to play, and, and, and the wife has a role to play, and the children have a role to play if we are going to survive the attacks and the onslaughts that we are all facing in today's world. But first, we've got to start with the men. I know that we put a lot of emphasis on the ladies, and they're the spiritual temperature keepers in the house and all these other things. But before God, God's going to hold the men responsible for what's going on in their families. You need to understand that. And so the man's fighting role, we all have that role, but, but, but it really applies to us. And there are five things that we need to do as men if we're going to see the victories in our lives and in our families' lives. Number one, I want you to write this down, and if you don't have a outline, raise your hand, let's get one to you, because we, we, they, they, they should be in your pews, but you can fill this out, you can fill it out digitally as well. But number one, you're going to fight from God's strength and not your own. Fight from God's strength and not your own. Now, this is counterintuitive to most men because we like the idea of being what we call self-sufficient and self-made. We like to say that we did that and the, but the only problem with that is when we do that, we, we fall into the traps of the enemy, the three traps that Satan sets for us, which the Bible calls the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, pleasure, power, and pride. And every single one of those focuses on me, myself, and I. Unfortunately, if that's where we live, well, my Bible says pride comes before the fall and a haughty heart before destruction. Because we get stuck in these things, pleasure, pride, and power, you, you can't be told anything, and you, you, you're getting beat up spiritually, and, and you move from warrior to, to really what, what, what is a wimp. You may be walking around with big muscles, but spiritually, you're a wimp because you're getting beat up constantly. You're fighting and losing because you're fighting in your own strength. Now, we saw a real live example of that in the Bible with the uncircumcised giant called Goliath. The Bible says he was nine feet tall, and he was railing at little shepherd boy David. He was upset. Actually, he was upset that David stood up to him. 
Who are you? You're just a little boy. And he's, a, he's been a fighting man since he's a little boy. But he made a gross miscalculation. He reasoned, he reasoned that he would have no trouble because he was bigger and stronger than David in the natural. Again, insulted that David was even stepping up to him. What he failed to see was the size of David's God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. And this was David's response back to him. Little David, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you, not in my own strength. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day the Lord will, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword. Listen to me, folks. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle belongs to who? Belongs to the Lord. And he will give all of you into our hands. Come on, somebody. David was doing something. He was declaring in faith that that, 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 that was what he wanted to happen. He was calling those things that aren't as though they are. He was making a faith declaration, speaking prophetically, declaring victory before it even happened. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Watch the things that come out of your mouth. Because God loves faith. And faith activates something in the atmosphere, amen? And if I'm constantly talking gloom and doom and the sky is falling and, and like running around like chicken with little, be careful. You might just get what you're asking for. But if I apply a little bit of faith to my situation and my circumstance and I start prophetically start calling those things that aren't as though they are, the, the, the victory is not in my own strength, but, but the victory is in the strength of the Lord, Amen? The Apostle Paul found this out, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Listen to what he's saying here. The Apostle Paul, responsible for most of the Gospels written, that, that we, you and I, who, if you come to faith, are responsible for, uh, 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 it's because of what the Apostle Paul did. He declared that his grace is sufficient for his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Who says that? I will boast all the more gladly so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, he says, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I don't show up in my own strength, my own power, something else uh, supernatural shows up in my place. Something stronger than the situation that I'm facing and the circumstances that are coming against me. Something stronger than the giants who are railing at me and the walls that seem to overpower me. I'm talking about a mighty God. Is there anybody in here listening to what I'm saying? Fellas, here's the gospel truth. We will face our giants by way of struggles and setbacks, but the man who learns to daily surrender to the Lord receives supernatural strength and obtains the victories that they need to fight for their families and to fight for their future. I hope, I hope somebody heard what I said. It's the man who learns to daily surrender to the Lord who receives that supernatural strength and obtains the victories that they need to fight for their families and to fight for their future. 
So fight from God's strength and not your own. Number two, fight through a powerful prayer life. What did Nehemiah do when he was facing his daily burdens and struggles? The first thing he did, the Bible said, was to pray. In James 5, 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, what does it say? Is it up there? It's powerful and effective. Availeth much. He says, I can almost hear some of somebody's thoughts, though, when, when I hear that. It says, the prayer of a righteous person. Someone is saying in their heart, well, Pastor Rick, I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm not a righteous person. Now, let me just tell you something. That's what I call stinking thinking. Because if you're in Jesus, you've been made righteous. Amen? I'm going to say what God says about me. Not that you earned it, but he gave it to you. In, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been made right, since we've been made right, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because, our faith, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. That's where you live. It's your privilege. It says it's undeserved, but nevertheless, you are privileged. Where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Folks, we are righteous not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did for us on the cross. It's imputed. It's undeserved. But it's there. And it's real. And it's solid. Unmovable. Hebrews 4.16. So let us now come. Listen, this is what it says. Boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Boldly to the throne room of grace. There, there we will receive, watch this, his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. One translation says we will find grace to help us in our time of needs. Anybody have times of needs? I'm telling you, the world has times of needs. I have times of needs. And so there's this holy invitation from the father to his children to come boldly into his throne room of grace. That's shouting words. Because of what Christ did, God now sees us different. And when we go to talk to God, it's not a menace, but mercy that we receive and grace and re that we receive to help us when we need it the most. So what's he saying? He's saying, absolutely, do not run from me, but run to me. Run to me. Don't stay away, but come close. God is not mad at you. He loves you, and he cares for you. But having said that, fellas, <laughs> there are some things that the Bible says will hinder your prayers. Anybody interested in knowing what they are? Hindrances to prayer, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. This is what it says. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. I want you to write this down. Something that will hinder your prayer or habitual sinning. They're constantly going back to the things that you know is the wrong thing to do. At some point, we need to allow God to, to by his Holy Spirit, to give us the victory over these things, these addictions that come up in our lives. I put out resources on the table. They're free to taking. One of them is on addictions. But do whatever you have to do to get rid of all that, that stuff that's constantly pulling you back into, into old habits 
that are only hurting you and hurting your family. Anybody with me this morning? And then there's another thing the Bible says will hinder our prayers. Listen to me. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, in the same way, you husbands must, 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 must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your, help me somebody, is it up there? The scriptures didn't make it this week, huh? She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, she said, it says you're weaker, but when it uses the word weaker, it's not talking about weaker mentally or weaker intellectually or weaker spiritually. The Bible says she is your equal partner, and whatever God's going to give to you, he's going to give to her. You're not going to get any more or any less. You're going to get the same. It's talking about weaker physically. And so because you're the stronger person physically, he says, treat her with honor. Now, I know that there are some women who are stronger than men and that you don't want to mess with. But generally speaking, okay, generally speaking, men are stronger. And the Bible says, if you want your prayers to be hindered, you mistreat that gift that I've given you. She belongs to me. She's my daughter, and I'm watching over how she's being treated by you. So dishonoring your spouse can hinder your prayer. If you want a powerful and effective prayer life, you're going to do those two things. You're going to keep short accounts with sin. Don't let it habitually keep in your life. And and then you're going to intentionally seek to honor and understand your wife. Some guys are like, oh, my goodness, I'm doomed. I don't understand my wife at all. So you, you feel kind of like this guy. Is that up? Did that picture make it up there? Oh, man. It's, it's a book of understanding women, women, and it says, has finally arrived, and it's that thick. <laughs> and the guy's at the beginning. He's trying to read it. He's, you know, but listen to me. It really isn't that big. The book on understanding women really isn't that big. We all have access to it. It's called the good book. It's called the Bible. Amen. And like Jesus told his disciples, what's impossible with men is possible with God. My Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Finds a good thing. Don't mess up your good thing. Amen? It's easy to get married. The work starts, and it's worth it in staying married. What's number one? Fight from God's strength, not your own. What's number two? Fight from a powerful prayer life. Let me give you number three. Fight. Fight by cheating right. Yeah, I said that. I know it's going to be a little controversial. No, I don't mean have an affair. There are no right affairs to have. I mean, if it comes down between your career and your ministry, and your family, cheat your career and not your family. Come on, somebody. How many know those kids grow up fast? Okay. I heard it all my life, but it's true. And at the end of the day, no one's going to get upset with you for spending too much time with your wife and your kids. Amen? But if your career building and your personal hobbies take priority over your family, 
it's going to cost you in the end. Listen to me. If your career building and your personal hobbies take priority over your family, it will cost you in the end. So cultivate those times with your family. I spent some time putting puzzles together with my family. We had the greatest time just this week. But cultivate the date nights and the vacations and the fishing and the hunting trips and the trips to the park and the movies. That's what they're going to finally remember in the end. And if you're in a separated situation, dads especially, you need to do even more. You need to be even more proactive so that your children know that you love them and that you care for them. Does that make sense? Fight by cheating right. Let me give you number four. Fight without fear. Fight without fear. Now, the truth is guys don't like to admit this, but oftentimes we struggle with anxiety and fears. We won't admit it, but it's true. That sometimes leave us paralyzed. We fear failure or being rejected. And sometimes our fears lead to doing nothing or worse, to pride, not being able to be told anything. Again, all of these are traps, and the Bible tells us where they come from, or rather where, where it doesn't come from. In 2 Timothy 1.7, this is what it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, some, for, of power and love and a sound mind. That's a great scripture to memorize. 2 Timothy 1.7, write that down somewhere. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I can't tell you how many times I quote that. One translation says, of self-discipline as well. In other words, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit in you has given you the power to help yourself. Amen? Yes, you do not have to do certain things if you're a Christ following you and you're filled with God's Spirit in you. Friends, the Bible records some 360 variations of the phrase, fear not. Fear not. That's one for every day of the week. Do you think God is trying to tell us something? Amen? Everyone deals with fear. That's the truth. But what we need from time to time is someone to whisper in our ears, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Because in Christ, whether we live or die, we win. Amen? Now, we're having trouble with our overhead this morning, but I'm going to read the scripture, Romans 8.37. It says this. It says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. So fear not, my brothers and sisters. Amen? Which brings us to our last point this morning. Fight through your identity in Christ. Fight through your identity in Christ. Truth is, me included, many of us didn't have an affirming father in our lives. I personally have no recollection of my dad or my stepdad saying, I love you. Now, I, or I'm proud of you. Now, if they said it, I'm just saying I don't remember. <laughs> okay? And I knew them to the day they died. All right? And so I don't remember it. And many of you are in that same boat. 
If there was affirmations or positive affirmations from the father figure in your life, you just don't remember or it's just not there. And that plays a number on people. How many know that positive affirmations from your parents is an important thing? Amen? They kind of need to hear it. Even when they're screwing up, they need to hear it. And so the good news is God knew this, that there would be many who through whatever reasons their dad wasn't there, or even if they were there, they were the distant type of dad that didn't say much. So what do we, need, what do, we do in that situation if you're in a situation like me? Well, this is what I've done, and this might be controversial, but it worked for me for years and years and years. This is what you do. You switch fathers. Yeah, you switch fathers. That's what I did. This is what the Bible says about your heavenly father. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 16, it says, So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, it says, Abba, father. Abba is what? The Hebrew word for daddy. Daddy. He says, I've not given you a spirit that leads to fear anymore. I've given you a spirit that cries out, daddy. And we're not talking about father, for some distant God, and some, off in some cosmos somewhere. Daddy is that is that familiar term that a child calls his dad when he's right there. He says, that's the same relationship I've given you. That's the same relationship I want us to have. He says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Friends, because of Christ, we've been adopted into God's family and are now children of the Father. And you no longer have to live out the failures or the shortcomings of your family tree. You can and should start to operate out of your new identity in Christ. Amen? The Bible says, old things have passed away, and behold, all things, all things, all things have become new. And if you've never heard it from your dad, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you never heard it from your dad or have no recollection, those who are listening online, I want you to hear it here as a representative of the Father. He wants you to know that you are loved. You are loved. He says the very hairs on your head are numbered. The scripture calls you the apple or the pupil of his eye, the center of his attention. You are loved, and someone believes in you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You may have been an oops baby to your family, but not to the Father. Amen? And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Your father, you have a father in heaven, listen to me, who thinks you are to die for. And that's literally what he did through his son, Jesus Christ. Sent his son to die for you. And I heard a preacher say one time, and it's true because the scripture says, Jesus told a parable. He says, which one of you will not leave the 99 for the one? who's lost. If you were the last person, God would have sent his son to die for you. 
so that he can have relationship with you, so that you can put your trust in him, that he can give you his spirit in you as a deposit of, or a guarantee of what's to come. And that spirit calls out, Abba, Daddy. That's what he's done for us. And so what is he asking us to do? To surrender our lives to him. Why? Because he's the lover of our souls. He's the one that was willing to give it all up for every single one of us. But he forces his way on no, on no one. He calls us to individually come to him. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. He's drawing you into a personal relationship with him. He wants you to know that there's a father, you have a father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, and wants a relationship with you. It's up to you and up to me to say, okay. And maybe you, and even if you had a great dad on this earth, you still have a loving father in heaven who wants a relationship with you. Amen? Amen. And so that call goes out to every single one of us. If you, if you, if you had a not affirming father, or even you had a great father. Your, your father on earth can only do so much. There's only one who can get us uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's our heavenly father. And he, calls that, and he calls us to say yes to him in our lives. And so if you've not yet done that, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And know this, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you if you've not yet committed your, your life to Christ. It's not that difficult. It's just a matter of saying yes. It's acknowledging that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. And Jesus came to pay for that sin in your lives. But you've got to say yes to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for me. From this day forward, I confess. I believe that Jesus is God's Son. And I confess my sins and I confess my faith in Him. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your love. Right now, I commit my life to you. And every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, just slip up your hands. I prayed to receive Jesus. I recommitted my life to Jesus. I see hands going up all over the place. If you are watching online, just say, say the same thing. I, I committed my life to Jesus. I recommitted my life to Christ. On the authority of his word, since you are now a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say, amen and amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.